So I, w- I want to take a few minutes to just bring us all back to make sure we're all on the same page. Um, because we had, you know, we took two weeks off of Easter and then Pastor John preached last week. And if you were here, you knew what an incredible word that was. In fact, let's just celebrate Pastor John for a second. But I, I, wanna, I want us to get back to end game. And, and if this is, if it's your first time here, you just started hanging out with us maybe through Easter. Um, we have been in a series called Endgame as exposed by Jesus. And this is a, a series committed to the detailed teachings of Jesus uh, and other parts of Scripture about what is traditionally known as the end times, the end times in the Bible. Uh, and this has been the longest series that we have ever done as a church. Uh, this has been one of those things where I, I wanted to preach this two years ago, and I wasn't, I personally just, I look back now, I wasn't ready, but the more I, I prepped and the more I studied and uh, the more the Lord just opened up his word um, to me, to our team, and, and, and then eventually to our church, this has become a very, a very powerful tool for us. And so I, I want you to remember the heart of this. The heart of this series is that we would be able to deliver, that I would be able to give you guys uh, the most solid biblical teaching that I could possibly give you, the, give you the insight and the understanding of God's word surrounding the idea of the end game and the end times so that we could learn and understand the scriptures and that any point in time through the course of our life, as, as if we're studying Matthew 24 and 25, we're studying parts of the book of Daniel, we're studying Thessalonians, we're studying the book of Revelation, that all of these series and all of these podcasts that we're putting out could be forever a tool for you to go back and to help you in, in your study of the word and your relationship with Jesus. And so I, I, I multiple times, because it's just in my personality, if you, don't, if you don't know me well on a personal level, I love what I like to call control chaos, okay? This is how I like to live my life. I like to switch my hobbies up about every three months. All right? I like to change the way I eat about every four or five months. I'll be a vegetarian for six months. Right now, I'm eating nothing but meat, literally. The carnivore, that's all I'm eating, just nothing but meat. I like to switch it up. I like to keep it interesting. Uh, I've, I'm a boxer, a pickleball player, a crossfitter, uh, a fisherman, uh, the list go. a mountain bike rider for a few weeks. Um, I, I had a road bike I rode once from my house to the church. And for all you morons and crazy, insane people that said it was relaxing, I've never been more angry at people in my whole life. They said, it's the most relaxing things. You just get on that road bike and you just go and it's like you're in your own little world. No, you're not. You're almost getting hit every five seconds. I rode it from my house to the church. As God is my witness, I put that bike behind the church and it stayed there for two years until somebody else stole it, all right? That is the honest to God truth. I, was, I have never been legitimately angry. I called, I remember making a phone call and being like, you're an idiot, okay? I don't know what drugs you're on, all right? But there is no way that's relaxing. So then I got a mountain bike, spent some time in the mountains. Anyway, my whole point of all that is I like to switch things up. It's in my nature to preach six-week series in three weeks, okay? That's just, that's just who I am. This series, though, has been dramatically different. And, and every time I go to pray about it, and every time I start to talk to the Lord about closing it down, there is just this unbelievable pressing to move forward and to finish this series all the way out. And so we're not gonna cut it short. We're gonna keep going, and we're gonna teach every single aspect of it. 
And, and I, wanna, I wanna be able to do that. And one person's excited. I wanna be able to do that. And so and it, everybody, this may be for me and no one else, but, but for, I, I want us to just, I believe that there's, there's so much power in these scriptures. There's so much power in being able to understand some of these deeper things. And it gives us a sense of understanding. It gives us a sense of peace. Uh, it gives us a faith in God's word like we've never had before. It gives us a sense of understanding and wisdom when it comes to today's politics and governments and the direction the world's going and the economics. And I believe that God is just, it, it, there's a reason why Jesus put at the front of Revelation, there's a reason why Jesus put a special blessing just to the people who read it and the people who hear it read. I mean, that's the only place in scripture you'll find where Jesus goes out of his way to say, those who hear this, those who listen to this, those who obey the teaching of Revelation, there's a special blessing that comes upon you. There's a reason why he did that. And so I, I believe that the Lord has been working in the life of our church, and I think that he'll continue to work. Right now, right now, we have three more messages. And so uh, at a minimum, three more messages and several podcasts that we're going to do. And so I, I want to I wanna commit to that and I wanna push that forward. And if you have not signed up for the podcast yet, they're gonna put a number right here. Uh, and, and I want you to text that number and get that, and we will be able to send you the podcast as soon as they're done and available. And that will stop you guys, and I love you, that'll stop all of you guys from emailing us and asking us when the podcast is gonna come out. I don't know if you've ever had to respond to a billion emails and text messages and Facebook messages and Instagram messages. But if you'll do this, then we'll send it to you as soon as it's done and you can have it. Um, over the next three or four weeks, there's going to be five to six podcasts coming out. Uh, and that's as much to you as it is to our media team to let them mentally prepare for that. Um, so good luck, guys. Pray for them. But is that, does that sound good? Is that something we can do? All right. So I want to I wanted to just bring us all back because I know it's been, it's been scattered. We had Easter and, and John last week, and so I just want to make sure we're all back on the same page. And, and I also want to, after I said all that, I also want to tell you this. I'm incredibly unprepared for today. And the reason that I'm incredibly unprepared for today is because I was going to move into what I call the second phase of the tribulation. Um, and there was a podcast, one of the podcasts that I was going to do um, later this week or next week. But Friday morning, I prepped all week, and then Friday morning when I came in, and Friday's my big day. I'm here by myself. Nobody else is at the office, and I just spend all day with the Lord, and I don't leave until I'm, I feel ready and prepared for, for the message. And then I come in Saturdays, and I just I pray, and then I just preach through the messages until I'm just I'm ready to roll. And I came in Friday, and I just had no peace. Uh, and as I began to pray, even though I prepped all week, as I began to pray, I, I, I really, truly come to realize that I, I needed to preach this message today uh, because I think that it, it does pertain to uh, the first phase of the tribulation or right before the tribulation. And I think that this is one of the more, uh, not controversial, but one of the more uh, maybe controversial prophecies in the Bible uh, and it's what is known traditionally as the Battle of Gog and Magog. And the reason, this is in Ezekiel 38, and the reason that this is so, I believe, important, and I believe that, that it needs to be addressed and talked about right now, uh, this day, is because I, I truly believe, and I mean this, I truly believe we could already be seeing the beginning and the pieces of this prophecy coming to play right now before our very eyes. 
And, and this is gonna be one of those, those the scriptures in, in Ezekiel 38 and 39, but we're just gonna look at 38, uh, of the first part of 38 today, and then I'll follow up this week with a podcast on the rest. But this is one of those scriptures that made absolutely zero sense through the vast majority of history right up until the last 70 years. This is one of those prophecies that, that there were just so many different things that had to take place and that had to change in order for this prophecy to come true that for 2,500 years, it just kind of sat there in Ezekiel 38 and 39 and, and people were trying to make sense of how it could have fit here and there and, and maybe they didn't mean this and maybe this meant that. Well, then all of a sudden in the last 70 years, it began to take shape. In the last 40 years, it began to uh, take significant shape. And then over the last 10 to 15 years, uh, it's become exactly identical politically in the layout of the land that this, this prophecy lays out. And so I, I, wanna, I want us to look at Ezekiel 38 and 39. The reason that we know that this is a, a end times prophecy is because it says it's an end times prophecy. Two or three times, it says, in the latter years, and this is Old Testament lingo for end times. And so this is, this is one that has become very uh, in, the, in, the, in the news, I guess, lately from a Christian standpoint because of all the major players that are talked about in this prophecy are kind of dramatically come on the scene over the last couple of years and in the last year uh, very dramatically, and that'll make sense in just a minute. And so as we go through this, I want to take my time, and I, I really want us to leave here today with a, a genuine, firm understanding of Ezekiel 38. That's my heart this morning, that we would leave here with an understanding of God's Word, and that the Spirit of God would just clarify with great insight and great certainty in our heart and in our mind what this Scripture is teaching, what the Bible says will happen, and then we will relate that to what we see right now in the world, and it will boggle our minds to how accurate God's word is. So I wanna start with this, Ezekiel 38, verse one. Uh, this is kind of an introduction to, to Gog and Magog. He says, and the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshesh, and Tabal prophesy against him and declare that this is what the Lord God says. Behold, I am against you, O Gog, prince of Rosh, Meshesh, and Tabal. I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaws, and bring you out with all your army, your horses, your horsemen in full armor, and a great company armed with shields and bucklers and brandishing their swords. Persia, Cush, and Put will accompany them, all with shields and helmets, as well as Gomer with all its troops, and Beth to Gomorrah from the far north with all its truth, and the many nations with you. It's the first six verses. I want to address, there's, there's two, not controversies, it, it might be the, the wrong terms, but there's, there's two thoughts of conflict around Ezekiel 38. Besides these two thoughts of conflict that I'm going to share with you in detail, the rest of it is, a, is, is one of the few pieces of scripture that is 100% unanimously agreed upon by all sides of theological thought process, which makes this a unique scripture. But the first piece of, of, of conflict comes in verse two, and I wanna, 
I want to tell you what it is, and then I want to tell you why I believe what I believe about this, this verse. In verse 2, it says, it's speaking to Gog, uh, the land of Magog. It says, son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshesh, and Tabal. Now, some of your translations, instead of saying the prince of Rosh, Meshesh, and Tabal, it says the chief prince of Meshesh and Tabal. This is a, a new conflict in a new debate that's come up in the last 30 years. For 2,700 years, this was not a piece of, of, of issue. This was not a struggle for anything or anybody. The reason why this came up is when they started doing some of the more modern translations, uh, I think in, in the 1970s, the first one, they, they began to struggle because the word rosh, both is a, is a, a big piece of land north of Israel uh, that is mentioned in Genesis and is there all throughout scripture. And, and the word rosh also means chief or head. And so there was this debate and some of the translations changed it to chief prince and some of them kept it uh, prince of rosh. And so rosh, when it's a, a, it's speaking to the nation, it's, it's, it's the land right above north of Israel. And then you have rosh, it also means head. I wanna give you three big reasons why I think that it is 100% rosh the land and not rosh the head. The first is a literary reason. So chief prince is a pretty common word in the Bible in the Old Testament, chief prince. It's mentioned in Daniel several times and other places throughout the Old Testament. Every single time that it is written, chief prince, it is written rosh first and prince, chief or head prince. Does that make sense? Every other time in the Old Testament, it's written rosh first, chief prince. This in the Hebrew is written Prince Rosh, okay? It's the only time it's flipped, the only time. Every other time when it's meant to say and clearly in context says Chief Prince, Chief or Rosh comes first, this time it's flipped. The second is a literary reason also, it's because there is a, a, another word attached slightly to Rosh that means in or of. This, every other time that it's written Chief Prince, that is not there. So instead of it saying Chief prince, as it does every other time, here it says prince of chief or prince of Rosh. Does that make sense? The third reason is, is every Hebrew ancient text translation, uh, every, uh, the Septuagint and all of the ancient text, all of the Aramaic text, everything for, for 2,500 years, everything capitalized this as Rosh, viewed this as the land of Rosh, in, in 1970, a group of people sat in a room and they decided that maybe they would be wrong. The greatest, to me, just the, the greatest end of the debate, end of the discussion, is that it is, 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 it's written as a capitalized noun. It's written that the way that it's written out, the way that it's, it's done in the Hebrew, it's a capitalized written noun. It's written differently than it is every other time Rosh has used the meaning chief or head. So I, I'm not quite sure. I wasn't there in the rooms and I don't ever want to judge anybody. I don't know why some people decided that this was an issue and tried to change it. Uh, the fourth reason, and this is a bonus reason, is because Rosh makes absolute perfect sense to the rest of the flow of scripture in, in Ezekiel 38. You'll see how 
how pointed and how direct and how powerful and how accurate it is if it's Rosh. So I, I, I'm gonna side with the first 2,500 years of Hebrew biblical experts, and I'm not gonna side with the 11 people in 1970. Is that okay if I do that? All right, so I'm, I'm just gonna go with that. All the King, and all, for all the older people who love the King James Version, they kept with Rosh, so power to the people. Um, every now and then I get an email about the King James Version. They're like, hey, when are you gonna be a real preacher and preach out of the King James Version? I'm like, you know, that's not the original, right? That's a, no, no, here or there. So that's why it's that. And, and, I, and you may be thinking I'm making too big a deal about it. I'm not, because it's very, it's very important that we understand this is Rosh for the rest of the scripture. So what, what God tells him, he says that in the, at the end times, and he'll say this in just a minute, the end times, God says, I'm, I'm gonna bring out Rosh, uh, Meshesh, Tubal, Put, Cush, uh, Persia, uh, Beth, Gomorrah, and Gomer, and all the nations with you, and I'm, I'm, I'm gonna bring you out to Israel. And so I'll, before we get into the next set of scriptures that talks about why and how they're gonna come out. I want us to understand this. And part of the reason me switching the message so last second, which I try not to ever do, but I did this weekend, is we, we had a map. I found the map that would show you this would bring some clarity, uh, but because we weren't able to test it on Thursday, we realized that it's, it doesn't show, it shows up blurry on the screens. And so we'll give this map to you in the podcast this week. But right now, just listen to me. I want you to know what these modern lands are. So Rosh, Anybody want to take a guess what Rosh is? It's Russia, okay? Rosh is Russia. Mish and Tobal is Moscow. Mish is Moscow. And Tobal is Tobolsk, the former capital of Siberia. Persia is modern-day Iran. Kush is modern-day Ethiopia and Sudan. Put is Libya and Algeria. Gomer is modern-day Turkey. And Beth Togomora is the stands of the former Soviet Union. So Kakistan, Afghanistan, Turkestan, Blackistan, I don't know what all, Yerbanikistan, all the stands, okay? What is so ironic about this, and in order for this prophecy to even begin to be true, you had to have two things. One, you had to have Israel, which I'll continually say throughout this series has, there's never been a nation completely displaced, their land taken over, and then them come back in history, and Israel's done it twice. For the Bible's prophecy to be accurate, Israel has to be a nation again. That happened 70 years ago. So that's a significant one. I will never be able to over-exaggerate the power of Israel becoming a nation again because it enacts all the prophecy in Scripture. The second is you have a... a unanimous, unifying factor between all these other nations. That hasn't existed in history until the last 30 or 40 years. Besides Russia, every other nation mentioned is an Islamic nation and is a Muslim nation, and they've declared uh, Israel a forever enemy, and they want to destroy and wipe Israel off the map being led specifically by Iran's lingo or Persia. And so you have, you know, Put, Kush, you have Algeria, Libya, Sudan, Ethiopia, you got Persia, which is Iran, you got Magog, which is all of the uh, Agistans, you got uh, Gomer and Beth Turin, which is Turkey and the lands around there, and then you got Rosh, and Meshesh specifically is Moscow. 
You've got all of these places. And, and, and right now, in modern history, right now, as we look at the map today, all of these lands are allied together and they are being ran and deeply influenced and funded by Rosh, by Russia. And so I want us to, I really want us to understand that 25 something hundred years ago, God gave Ezekiel a prophecy about the end times, about the later times. And for 2,500 years, this never fit. This never made political sense until 70 years ago when Israel became a nation again. And then over the last 40 years, as these alliances have developed, all of a sudden you now have every single nation mentioned in this prophecy is allied together and they are uh, Islam, uh, Muslim nations, and they are allied, all of them are allied and funded by and with Russia. Does that make sense? So I wanna hold on to that for a second. I wanna move down to verse seven. So this is where the time frame actually becomes very clear. Verse seven, get ready, prepare yourself. Remember this whole time, God's speaking through Ezekiel. It's a prophecy against Gog, Magog, and all their alliances. Get ready, prepare yourself. You and all your company gathered around you, you will be their guard. After a long time, you will be summoned. In the latter years, you will enter a land that has recovered from war, whose people were gathered from many nations to the mountains of Israel. Okay, that's what has happened over the last seven years. Israel became a nation, and after many years, people from all over the world, Jews from all over the world, have been filtering back into Israel. This is a significant part of the, the scripture. This is a significant part of the prophecy that I, and it, I can't over-exaggerate, and I hope that you can hear me this morning, the fact that Israel became a nation again, and then it says specifically that it's going to become a nation, and that all Jews who were scattered all over the world are gonna come, all of them are gonna come back to the mountains of Israel, and after a long time, I'm gonna summon Rosh and Mishesh and Tabal and Gog, the leader of them, and all these other nations to come and attack them. Does that make sense? They had been brought out from the nations and all now dwell securely. You and all your troops and many people with you will go up advancing like a thunderstorm and you will be like a cloud covering the land. This is what the Lord God says. On that day, thoughts will arise in your mind and you will devise an evil plan. Again, this is to Gog. This is to the, the leader of Gog, the leader of Rosh, and Mishoth and Tobal. That's modern day Russia and that's modern day uh, Moscow, and then uh, Tobolsk, which used to be the capital of Siberia, which is under Russian rule. You will say, I will go up against a land of unwalled villages. I will come against a tranquil people who dwell securely, all of them living without walls or bars or gates in order to seize the spoil and carry off the plunder to turn a hand against the desolate places now inhabited and against the people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and possessions who live at the center of the land. So this is the prophecy, and I want you to hear me because this is another significant point. The prophecy says that the reason why Gog, whoever he may be, the reason why Gog, who rules Rosh and Meshesh and Tabal, wants to come down, thoughts will arise in his mind, and he will want to come down to Israel to attack Israel for their plunder, for their plunder, okay? And some translation says for their booty, which I just think is a funner word than plunder. So this is something I want you to hold on to this because I want you to really hear this. This is a significant point. I don't know if you've ever been to Israel, but there's not a lot of plunder. There's not a lot of booty. 
up until about 15 years ago, there was nothing worth coming to take Israel over for. There was nothing there. Now, all of these other nations, they have different reasons, which I'll give you in just a minute. But this is specifically why Gog, why the leader of Rosh and Meshesh and Tabal, why the leader of Russia and Moscow and Tobolsk would come down for plunder. There was not a reason to come down to plunder, except that around 15 years ago, Israel started to discover natural gas off their coast. 10 years ago, they discovered over 30 trillion cubic meters of natural gas. Now, I didn't know a lot about natural gas and the way they measure natural gas, but this is a significant amount of natural gas. They also believe that there is a significant amount more. They also believe that Israel is not being open about how much natural gas is really there. Why is this so significant in modern times? If this prophecy plays out in our lifetime, why is this so significant in modern times? Russia has obviously attacked Ukraine, right? Everybody's been fully aware of this. Russia, a massive portion of their economic, their income is dependent on piping oil and natural gas, specifically natural gas, into Europe because of the sanctions of our country and because of the sanctions and the, the decisions of Europe cutting off that natural gas flow, before Israel discovered this natural gas, everybody was very dependent upon Russia. Now with Israel having a, they're only using less than 1% of their natural gas every year, meaning that they could supply all of Europe with natural gas for 100 years. Europe will no longer need to depend on Russia. They can now depend on Israel. So Russia's economics will significantly change whether we lift sanctions or we don't lift, lift sanctions. Does that make sense? I'm trying to make this as clear as I can. I know it can be complicated. So up until 10 or 15 years ago, this prophecy this part of the prophecy didn't make a lot of economic sense, political sense. Why would Russia come down and attack Israel? Russia has made it abundantly clear over the last year they are deeply angry and hate Israel because of the deals that they are making with Europe around their natural gas situation. If Russia were to come down and take Israel and take control of their natural gas, they would have a significant monopoly on, on the, all of Europe, and they would instantly be able to control, as, as Vladimir Gog has been doing, using his oil and his natural gas to manipulate and control the European nations and the Middle East nations. Does all that fit and make sense? Okay, so I'm not taking a political stance. You don't have to be political to know that, that Vladimir Putin is a very evil man and that he in every way, shape, and form fits the ideology and the reasonings that is portrayed in Gog. I'm not saying he is. I'm saying that it could easily fit what we have right now. Does, everybody, does that make sense, everybody? So what I don't want you to leave and go, Pastor Jordan said Vladimir is Gog, because I'm not saying that. I'm saying that everything in the political sense, everything that is being played out right before our very eyes for the first time in history fits exactly what 
God gave Ezekiel 2,500 years ago, okay? I, w- I wanna move on. Sheba, and this is verse 13, Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish with all its villages will ask, have you come to capture the plunder? Have you assembled your hordes to carry away loot, to make off with silver and gold, to take cattle and goods, to seize great spoil? Verse 14, therefore prophesy, son of man, and tell Gog, this is what the Lord God says. On that day when my people Israel are dwelling securely, will you not take notice of this? And will you not come out from your place out of the far north? Every time you hear directions in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, it's always giving north, south, east, west from Israel every time. If you go directly north from Israel, you will run right into Moscow. Okay, I just want to put that out there. And you will come from your place out of the far north, you and many peoples with you, all riding horses, a mighty horde, a huge army. You will advance against my people, Israel, like a cloud covering the land. It will happen in the latter days. O Gog, that I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I show myself holy in you before their eyes. In my zeal and fiery rage, I will proclaim that on that day there will be a great earthquake in the land of Israel, the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the beasts of the field, every creature that crawls upon the ground and all of mankind on the face of the earth will tremble at my presence. The mountains will be thrown down, the cliffs will collapse and every wall will fall to the ground. So I wanna, I wanna, I wanna be clear here. God is making a, a, a very clear statement through Ezekiel and through this prophecy into the latter times that at the end times in the latter years, God will cause Gog, the leader of Rosh, Mishesh, Tubal, along with modern-day Iran and Sudan and Libya and all the Afghanistan and all the Muslim countries that surround it to all come and attack Israel. Then God will then destroy Israel, I mean destroy those who come against Israel in a way, specifically through an earthquake, in a way that will show the whole world that he is God and the world will see, recognize, and realize that God is God and the God of Israel is God. So I, I want to, the reason why I believe the Lord wouldn't let me continue on in the series without first teaching this is because I think that this deeply applies to the first part of the tribulation and right before the tribulation begins. And I want to show you why here in just a minute. I told you there were two points of conflict surrounding this this scripture. The first was Rosh. We already covered that. The second one is whether this will be before the tribulation begins or the first part of the tribulation. I've, I've, I've tried my best not to give my opinion through the course of this series, and so I'm not going to do that even now. But what I am going to do is I'm going to show you in scripture how God's response in Ezekiel 38, 19 through 20 is almost identical to one of the seals in the first part of the tribulation. So I, I want to read this, Ezekiel 38, 19 through 20, one more time, and then I want to go back to the sixth seal that we learned about two weeks ago, and I want you to see how similar the outcomes are in this. So it says, when at the, after God comes down and 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 all of these nations surround Israel and they go to battle against Israel, 
There, this is what it says. In my zeal and fiery rage, I proclaim that on that day, there will be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. The fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the beasts of the field, every creature that crawls upon the ground and all mankind on the face of the earth will tremble at my presence. There's an awareness of God's power in this. The mountains will be thrown down, the cliffs will collapse, and every man will fall to the ground. I will summon a sword against Gog and all, and all, on all my mountains, declares the Lord God, and every man's sword will be against his brother, meaning he's gonna turn the enemies against themselves. I will execute judgment upon him with plague and bloodshed. I will pour out torrents of rain, hailstones, fire, and sulfur on him and his troops and on the many nations with him. I will magnify and sanctify myself and I will reveal myself in the sight of many nations. They will know that I am the Lord. Now I wanna take you to the sixth seal. And I want you to read this same language that shows up at the end of this, the, the end of Gog, the, as God destroys him. This is the sixth seal. Remember the earthquake. Remember everything that, that we just read in Ezekiel. S Revelation 6, this is verse 12 through 17. And when I saw the lamb open the sixth seal, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black like sackcloth of goat hair, and the whole moon turned blood red. The stars of the sky fell to the earth like unripe figs, dropping from a tree shaken by a great wind. The sky receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. The exact same language as Ezekiel. Then the kings of the earth, exact same language. The kings of the earth, the nobles, the commanders, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and free man hid in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come who is able to withstand it. So I wanted to show you those two parallels because it, it is incredibly similar, the outcome of Gog and his armies against Israel and the sixth seal. Both begin with a significant earthquake. Both involve things falling from the sky, destroying people. Both involve people hiding in caves. Both saying the lands will move. And both ending with the world being aware of the presence of God and giving God glory for it. And so this is, this is what I, what do you do with this? The first thing we do is like I've said multiple times through this, this series is we stand in awe at the accuracy of God's word. That's the first thing we do. And I don't mind saying that. I don't mind that being a main point every single week. This was written over 2,500 years ago. And it has made zero political, economic, geographical sense for almost 2,500 years up until the last 70 years. Then all of a sudden, history plays out exactly the way the Bible said it would 2,500 years ago. Now you have, in this very moment, for the first time since Israel became a nation, they have plunder and booty worth the leader of Rosh from the far north coming down and taking. The rest of those nations mentioned are all Muslim nations, and they have declared a deep hatred for Israel. Iran has voiced for years and years and years, that's Persia in the Bible. Iran has voiced for years and years and years. They want to destroy Israel, wipe them off the face of the map. And they have been very open about creating a nuclear bomb to be able to do just that. And so I, I, wanna, I wanna take a second and I wanna let you know, and I'm gonna, 
I'm, I'm, I, I feel in my heart I need to say the things that I'm about to say. I will preface this with, I've tried my best not to give my opinion. So what I'm about to do is I'm going to lay out a very realistic way we could see this begin to take place right now, tomorrow, and the next three months and the next year in our life. I wanna lay this out and I'm gonna show this to you. Iran has been working on a nuclear bomb for a long time. I don't wanna insult or get political and aggravate people, but we have, most of recent presidents, except for one, has deeply mishandled this situation with Iran. Iran, they are led by Muslim leaders. It would be like if America was ran by pastors. That's how Iran is ran. They have said openly, vehemently, and continually that they are working on a nuclear bomb that they will use to destroy Israel with for years and years and years and years. They have gotten extremely close. They probably already have enough enriched uranium right now to build a bomb and to, and to get to Israel. Israel, on the other hand, for the last year, has been telling Iran, has been telling the world, and telling America, we will not let them hit us first. Somebody do something, because if nobody does anything, we are going to take Iran out. We're gonna take out their, their nuclear facilities. We're gonna bomb them first, because if they get it, they have said it and promised as soon as they're able, they're gonna bomb us. So this has been what's happening on the political spectrum. Since Israel began warning that if Iran gets to this, we're gonna bomb them, Vladimir Putin and Russia have been equally vehemently saying, if you attack Iran, we will attack you. Does that make sense? This is all politics, this is all happening right here, right now before our very eyes. I wanna share with you, and I'm gonna go, I'm gonna talk about this in a podcast this week. There is another small prophecy about Elam. Elam is, on the, is now the part of Southern Iran. There's this weird little prophecy to Elam where it talks about, and I'm, I'll go in detail on this on a podcast, but I just wanna tell you how I think it applies right here, right now, what we're watching. This prophecy says that at the height of their power, God will destroy the bow of Elam. And that when he destroys the bow of Elam, which is modern day Southern Iran, when he destroys the, the bow of Elam, that the people in Elam will have to scatter all over the earth. They won't be able to live there anymore. Does that make sense? So there's a prophecy that says to modern day Elam, southern part of Iran, at when you're, the height of your power is your bow, and I'm gonna destroy your bow. And when I destroy your bow, everybody in Elam will scatter throughout the earth. Elam is, ma, is the southern part of Iran. The southern part of Iran on a port city is where they have all their nuclear plants where they are enriching their uranium. If Israel was to strike Iran, they would hit right in the heart of Elam. If they hit the nuclear plant, nobody in that southern part of Iran would be able to live there. They would have to what? Scatter. 
Right now, the greatest revival, maybe in terms of people being saved in the history since Jesus is happening right now in Iran, specifically in Elam. In fact, the, the Iran people and the Christians in Iran, they are so excited about this prophecy that I'm telling you about. They can't wait till it happens because they view themselves as them being scattered to go out to the world to take the gospel. That's the language that's being used by the Iranian people. And so this is something that could happen literally today. This is something that could happen this week. This is something that could happen this year. This is something that more than likely will happen very soon. And I, I, I felt so heavy in my heart on Friday that I wanted to give us a biblical understanding of Ezekiel 38, 39 and the small prophecy about Elam. And I want us to prepare our hearts for the future. If you are not a Christian, you should have deep fear of the next 15, 20 years. But if you are a Christian, you should have deep courage and power and gratefulness that we might get to be a part of the last day generation. The thing that I want you to understand is the reason we should have no fear is because our God is supremely in control. He's proven that by writing down the end at the beginning. He's let us know exactly what would happen so we don't have to fear it. And so as we stand here, we sit here today in this building, we sit here at home, I want you to hear me. I do not believe the world is going to get better. The world is going to get worse. Things are going to get more difficult. I believe the, the, the leaders of this world and of this culture are leading us into significant war. There are too many things happening right now for us to avoid war. It's going to happen. Why do I know it's going to happen? Because the Bible says it's going to happen. And so we have one or two things that we can do as Christians. We have one or two things that we can do. We can go about our lives and ignore it and act like it's not there, or we can embrace the reality that God has so clearly laid out for us, and we can use it to let it align our perspectives with the world. What I mean by that is there are things that are so important to us that shouldn't be important to us. There are things that we're still chasing in our life that we shouldn't be chasing. We should let prophecies like this and scriptures like this drive us to the feet of Jesus. We should let this get, drive us to get over all the little things, all the little bickering and complaining moments we have in our life, all the little stupid things we argue about in our marriages, all the little dumb things we argue about with our friends, all the little work things, how horrible your boss is. Nobody's ever had a good boss. You ever know that? We should let it put everything in perspective. It, it should cause us to lay our lives down before the throne of Jesus Christ and to live for him in a way that we never have before. And so this morning, I do believe we could easily see this play out in our life, right? If, I, if Iran does this, if Israel hits Iran, Russia's gonna attack Israel and we're, and we're gonna we're gonna see all of this play out. 
And so I, I, want you to, I want you to know the Lord could come back any second. There's nothing stopping him from coming back right here, right now today. But until that happens, we have a mission and we have a purpose as believers on this earth. And that is to live for the cause of Jesus Christ. And so I wanna close with this. What do I want you to do today because of this? I want you to love the people in your life more than you ever have. I want you to bring your children close to you tonight. I want you to love your spouse. I want you to forgive those who need to be forgiven in your life. I want you to stop worrying about money so much. I want you to stop worrying about t-ball so much. I want you to stop worrying about what's going on with the Vegas wives of Atlanta. I want you to let the Spirit of God align your heart and your perspective with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let the little things fall away and let the most important things rise to the top. And let's be who God's called us to be.